0: To give to these pastors, and this one's going to the church in Sardis, right? These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Now, is there seven Holy Ghosts, or is there a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Ghost? So that's what he's talking about there. And to the seven stars, remember we learned that they're they're the pastors. I know your works. Jesus knows our works. He said that to every church that you have a name. Now watch this. You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I've not found your works perfect before God. That's, that's not a good thing, is it? Verse 2 is not a good, not, not, you don't want Jesus saying that about you. That, uh, 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 well, what did he say? He said, you have a name. Well, verse 1, I know your works, you have a name that you're alive and you're dead. That's not good, is it? No, that's not good. Then he says, be watchful, strengthen things that remain that already die, for, for I've not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I'll come on you as a thief. And you'll not know what hour I'll come to you. Then he says, you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. They'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments I'll not blot out his name from the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father, before his angels. He who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, last week, I said to you that Sardis is known as the dead church. Now, when you when you think about the dead church right away, a lot of people start thinking about dead services, dead, dry, boring. We just can't make it through another service. It's just so dead and dry. That's not the case here. They had a name that they were alive. A a better name for this church rather than the church in Sardis would have been the church alive. Because this church, look at, look at Revelation 3 verse 3 in the New Living Translation. Notice it says here, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold firmly to it. Repent and turn to me again. Did this church start out right? It sure did. It started out right. But something happened somewhere. Something happened. And. He said that Jesus said, you have a name that you're alive. See, they weren't. But you're dead. They, They didn't appear to be dead to the community. They didn't appear to be dead. Even when people came. To, to visit, visitors come. Visit. I mean, people flocked to this church because they had a program going. They had this going, that going. They had something for everybody. But it had become very dead spiritually. Remember, there's a scripture in the book of James that says the body without the spirit is dead. And this was a local body of believers. I believe one of the things that happened here is they stopped flowing with the Holy Spirit. And when you have a church that stops flowing with the Holy Spirit, you're going to get deader than a doornail. Did did you hear what it just said? Going to get deader than a doornail. And so they stopped allowing, apparently, the Holy Spirit to flow. But it looked alive. It looked vibrant. It looked like it was the happening place. They had a reputation, fame, popularity, programs. This church, as I studied into it, they were big on image and reputation. And people flocked to it. But Jesus said they're dead. This was, as I, again, as I studied into it, this was a church where you could leave, lead a double life. And be comfortably doing so. Including the pastor, the, the people that came to this church, the members of the church, would be very comfortable appearing Christian on Sunday morning, living worldly the rest of the week, and they were never challenged on Sundays when they came to church to get out of their worldly ways and live for the Lord. Did you, did you hear what I just said? See, if you were here last week, the Holy Ghost, he, he moved in a mighty way. And he, he exhorted all of us to, to live holy and walk right before him. Remember that? Now, when you flow with the Holy Ghost, sometimes you can offend people. But I'd rather flow with the Holy Ghost and not offend him than please people and offend the Holy Ghost. Is that right? And that's what was going on in this church. And you could be comfortable leading a double life. You could be comfortable living in sin during the week, coming to church on Sunday and never be challenged. This pastor, again, as I studied into him, he wasn't calling sinners to Christ and he wasn't calling Christians to repentance. And that's something that every every pastor should do. Call sinners to Christ and call Christians to repentance. Remember, I've told you for years, I want everyone welcome in this church. But I don't want anyone comfortable, including me, if there's sin in your life. Did you hear what I just said? Okay. Um, Now, we told you last week that Sardis had a massive gymnasium. And in that gymnasium... There were what they call the Roman baths and uh, they were uh, very sexually impure in these Roman baths in this gym in Sardis. And it was right next door to the synagogue and then right next door to the church there was the temple, temple of Artemis. And, and, and this gymnasium was real close to the synagogue and the temple of Artemis, this temple to a Greek goddess... Uh, was real close to the church. And remember, I told you that can be a good thing if the synagogue and the church are having a positive effect on the gym and the temple. But I told you, archaeology has shown that the gym and the temple actually had an adverse effect on the synagogue and the church. As they've dug things up over time, they found things in the in the synagogue and things in the church it should not have ought to have been there. And, and, and you need to remember this. Either the church gets into the world and affects it for good or the world gets into the church and affects it for bad. And that's what happened here in Sardis. The world had gotten into the church and affected it very, very, very negatively. Uh, I, I, I'm persuaded that that when they went to the church, you couldn't tell, have I come to church or have I come to the gym? Have I come to the church or have I come to Walmart? Have I come to the church or have I come to a nightclub? Have I come to the church or have I come to a bar? How many of you know the church ought to be different from the world? Is that right? And then what jumped out at me is there was no persecution or false doctrine in Sardis. No indication of any persecution or trouble from outside forces. No synagogue of Satan, which we've seen in these other churches. No throne of Satan, which we saw in one of the other churches. There was no, there was no sign of persecution. Remember, the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. Which leads me to believe that this church, there, there was there wasn't a lot of godly living going on there. We'll see there were just a few people in the church that... Remember, he, he, we read it a moment ago, there's a few in Sardis who have not spotted their garments. There are just a few people living right in that church. No persecution. You see, the world isn't going to persecute you until you buck it. Is that right? The, the synagogues, some of the worst persecution against the churches came from the synagogues. Remember that? And the synagogue wasn't even persecuting this church. Because the synagogue was just as whirly as, as, as those, 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 that gymnasium was right next door. And the church was just as worldly. this church was just as whirly as any of the things going on around it. Somebody said to me, they, they, why didn't, well no, somebody didn't say this to me, I had the thought. And then I studied into it. Why didn't they just, if you didn't like the church in Sardis, why didn't you just leave that church and go to one of the other churches? There were six others to choose from. Well, you have to remember this. They didn't have cars back there then. Right? So some of these churches were, were you know, within, I don't know, 20, 30 miles, maybe the closest one. That's a long walk, isn't it? Or a long buggy ride. So it'd be hard now, nowadays if you don't like the church, what people do, you know what people do if the pastor offends them? They just get in a car and they drive to another church. Is that right? You couldn't really do that back there then. Besides all that, back there then, you couldn't move freely like you can here. If you want to move and, like now, Janie, for example, she's going off to college. Back there then, she couldn't do that unless the Roman government approved of it. Did you get what I just said? So you couldn't leave the area, if you, were, if you were here in Fenton, you couldn't leave the area and, and, and move to Baldwin without the government's approval. Do you understand, you, you follow what I'm saying? So you couldn't just, if you were in Sardis, you couldn't just say, well I don't like this church in Sardis, I'm going over to Philadelphia. You couldn't do that. So you were stuck with wherever you were, were at, and you'd have to overcome the circumstances wherever you were. Did, did you get that? I think that's important to say. So there's no persecution going on here. And not only that, there was no heresy going on in this church. No doctrine of Balaam, no doctrine of the Nicolaitans, no Jezebel, like we saw in some of these other churches. In fact, there was no doctrine going on at all in this church. It got to the point. See, they started out right. They started out teaching the word. They started out flowing with the Holy Spirit. But it got to the point there's no teaching or flow of the Holy Ghost at all. It just turned into a lot of, from what I can see, just a lot of how can we entertain the people? Somebody says, well, aren't these churches relevant to today? Yeah, you see a lot of that going on today, don't you? Not in every church. a lot of good churches out there. But in so many, you see they've turned into, did I come into a church or did I come into a nightclub? They're not teaching the Word of God. They're, they're, they're teaching they they're, you don't want to go somewhere that's Bible-based. I said, you don't want to go somewhere where they tell you it's Bible-based. You want to go somewhere where they tell you we're teaching the Bible. Because when they say Bible based, you know what they just told you? They're going to read one scripture and then tell you stories and jokes for the next 30 minutes. Did you get what I just said? You need to maybe think on that one a little bit. Do I need to go over that again? I don't want, when they tell, because I've studied it, i watch it. When they say we're Bible based, you know what they just told you? I'm going over it again so you get it. They just told you we're going to read you a scripture, maybe two. And the rest of it is going to be stuff to keep you entertained for the next 28 minutes. You check into it, you'll see that what I just told you is just real close to being right. It is right. Now, I don't want something Bible based. I want something Bible. Now, are you okay with me? Are you sure you're right with what I just said? I'll say it again. Some of you didn't get it when they say Bible based. What they're really telling you is we're going to read you two scriptures, maybe. And then the other 28 minutes, we're going to talk about other stuff to keep you entertained and keep you feeling just hip, hip, hoorah. I don't want to go somewhere Bible based. I want to go somewhere that's Bible completely, totally the head, the tail, the whole thing. How about how about you? You okay with that? you read the Bible and tell, t- 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 tell stories and that you can do that but, but it should be mainly the Bible is that right it's like going to a church you want to go to a church where there's nothing wrong with serving donuts how many times do I have to say this you don't want donuts to be the main thing is that right so yeah, I tell you stories and, and we can even tell a little joke here there's nothing wrong with that but, but, but 99% of it needs to be teaching of the word of God are you okay with that That's what I'm trying to get through to you. There's no doctrine at all. Now, here's some things that some scholars said about this church. Said Sardis was the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. This church was a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. It had become so like the world around it that you couldn't tell the difference when you walked in there between the church and the world. They were busy doing things and trying to entertain and please the world. Now, I didn't say this stuff. This is stuff I I studied out and found that scholars said who have studied into this much deeper than I have. Sardis was so busy doing things and trying to entertain and please the world that they forgot what the church was all about. They had stopped doing their works and deeds for God. In all their activity, they were too busy to notice that the church had died. Sardis was more concerned with numbers than with the spiritual quality of life it was producing in its people. It was more involved in management than with ministry, and it emphasized the physical over the spiritual. It emphasized what? The physical over the spiritual. It put more emphasis on the donuts than it did on the bread of life, which is the word of God. Did you get what? Did you hear that? I'm all for donuts. Let's have donuts, but let's put the word. Let's put the bread of life first. And then do donuts later. Is that okay? Is that okay? Okay. Now, here's something else. Sardis could have been called a cathedral of consumption because they, the leadership, designed it to feed the appetites of the consumer's worldly lifestyle. Ice cream social was more important than the altar call. And prayer. Preaching no longer focused on the word of God and repentance, but had become watered down into a social gospel. A lot of people attended the church because the message did not offend them. Unlikely that sin was ever talked about. The church at Sardis may have had a good reputation in the city, but God was not impressed. We need to impress God, not people. Is that right? Their works and deeds were not being done for the glory of God, but for the glory of the church and perhaps even for the pastor's personal reputation and glory in the city. Sardis had a reputation; they were known far and wide, and they, that they were they were active, filled with activity, action programs, just like a great deal of church is today across America. But by the world standards, they were successful, and they were probably proud of their church. Nothing wrong with being proud of your church, but there is something wrong when the Lord says you are what you are dead. Now, what did He mean when He said dead? Very good. Now, now let me talk to you about death. Death stands for the concept of separation, the absence of life. Now, an unbeliever, somebody that's never received Jesus, they're without spiritual life. They're unregenerate. They're without God. They're separated from real, I'd say, relationship. They're separated from relationship with God. But a believer, the concept of death is like sleep or slumber. And they're separated from, we're allowed to say fellowship. From fellowship with God. See, a sinner has no relationship with God. But a Christian who's living in sin has no fellowship with God. Did you get the difference there? The difference between relationship and fellowship? And a Christian who lives sinfully is known in Scripture as a carnal Christian. The only difference between a sinner and a carnal Christian is one's going to heaven and the other's going to hell. Now, would you agree with me that that to get to heaven, it's a free gift, period? Is it or isn't it? Is there anything we can do on our best day you and me put together to get to heaven in and of ourselves? Is it a free gift? Isn't, Isn't God good? So, but but once someone receives the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to heaven. But if they still live sinfully—that's called carnally—they're a carnal Christian. Now, when they die, they'll go to heaven, all right. They'll they'll, they'll, be—they'll—they'll be dealt severely with, I believe, at the judgment seat of Christ. But remember what the Bible says: those people, those carnal Christians, they suffer loss, but they loss of reward. But they themselves get to go into heaven. That beats going to hell, doesn't it? So a sinner has no relationship with God. They're going to hell. A Christian has relationship with God. But if they're living sinfully, they have no what? Fellowship with him. Do You see that? Do you understand that? Now, there's scholars will argue with me on that. We'll say more about that in just a moment. But as I've studied the Bible, that's, that's, that's pretty much the bottom line there. And the, the group of people that we're looking at here in Sardis, they, they, uh, they were born again. They, they believed on the Lord Jesus. Jesus was writing to his church, but they they had gotten so involved with with the world that you couldn't tell the difference between whether they were saved or whether they were lost. Do you understand that? Now, notice here in Revelation three, verse two, new living translation. What does Jesus say to them? And this is Revelation three, verse two, new living translation. What's those first two words? Wake up. He told them to wake up, didn't he? They had gone to sleep spiritually. He said, strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. I mean, this place was just going. going, Just, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Do our actions need to meet the requirements of God? Yeah. Was theirs? No. Now. That's verse number two. Let's look at verse three in the New Living Translation. He said, we read this a minute ago. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Then what's that next word? Repent and turn to me again. Now, had they turned to Jesus at one point? Right. Now, had they lost their salvation? No, because if they had lost their salvation with person, look. I don't want to get into a big long thing on losing salvation. I believe it's possible, but it's almost impossible. And you can't lose your salvation by accident. You have to be born again, living for the Lord, and you have to mature in the things of God. And then once you've matured in the things of God, if you turn your back on him and renounce him, spit on him, so to speak. You know what I mean? Full well on purpose, knowing what you're doing. Then... And even then it's tough, but a person could lose their self and, and, and people would argue with me on that. Let me ask you a question. How many of you people are saved in here today? You know, Jesus, let me see your hand. OK, now, if we had the blood of Jesus up here and let I'm being very respectful now. But if the blood of Jesus was up here and it was up here. In a in a basin, anybody would anybody in here come up here and and just start stomping on his blood and start spitting on it. Is there anybody that would do that? Anybody at all? Then you haven't lost your salvation. Because the book of Hebrews says the person, the Christian that loses their salvation, they've counted the blood of the covenant wherewith they were sanctified an unholy thing. Remember that? Does anybody count the blood of the covenant that Jesus shed on the cross an unholy thing? Huh? Well, then you, then you haven't lost your salvation. People that lose their salvation, that, that's, that, that's what they would do. Did you get what I just said? So these people hadn't done that, they just had a lot of worldly, are you okay? Y'all you alright? They just had a lot of worldliness in their church. And, and so what is he telling them? He's saying, realize say repent? He said repent and turn to me again. And then he says if you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Now the living Bible says, now, we don't have the Living Bible on this uh, projection screen, but the Living Bible says, "Unexpectedly, as a thief, to punish you, or actually to judge you." Do you believe Jesus would ever bring judgment upon us? How many believes he would? He will. He will. Hey, the Bible is very clear. How many of you remember when we studied the church? I think it was the, the church before this one, with Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? She was up teaching, teaching false doctrine. Apparently, a believer. But she was teaching false doctrine. And Jesus said he gave her time to what? Repent. And he said if she doesn't repent, I'm going to throw her into a sick bed. Remember that? In other words, I'm going to turn her over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that her spirit will be safe. So that she'll turn and get back right with me. How many remembers us teaching on that? You remember You remember me teaching on that? See, so Jesus, he's, he's getting ready to come and judge these people. But before he comes and judges them... Before he comes and judges them, what's he telling them to do? He's given them a chance in verse 2. What was those first two words in verse 2? Let's go back to verse 2. I want you to get it. What was those first two words of verse 2? Real loud say, "Wake wake up. So before Jesus comes and judges, does he give us a chance to wake up and repent? I'm not boring you all, am I? Okay. Now... Did Jesus tell this church to watch and be ready? Did he tell him to do that or not? Yeah. Now, if you when I first read that years ago, I didn't have a clue what, why he was making such such emphasis on this other than I knew they had gone to sleep spiritually. But if you understand something about the city, you'll understand the importance of his statement. This city of Sardis was built on a very large hill. It's called an acropolis. It was the largest hill in Asia Minor and this City, because it was built on this high hill, it had never been overthrown by an enemy. And because of that, it had become overconfident. And some say that they did, they, they were so confident they'd never be overthrown that they did not have watchmen. The city, they didn't have watchmen. Others say they had watchmen, but the watchmen would sleep instead of guarding the city. And in the process of time, prior to Jesus writing this letter to Sardis, on two occasions, because the watchmen either weren't there or they were there and they were asleep, this city of Sardis, the enemy snuck in and, and overthrew the city. And that was commonly known in the city. And the attitude of this city had gotten into the church. What did we tell you a while ago? Either the church affects the city or the city affects the Church. And the attitude of the city, well, we're, we're up on this hill. We don't need, we don't need watchmen. We don't need to be alert. We'll never be taken captive. The enemy can't get to us. Well, on two different occasions, the enemy did. And that was well known. And Jesus was saying to this church, you need to wake up and watch. Because in Sardis, they knew that if you weren't watchful, what would happen? The enemy could get in and plunder your city. And see, this had gotten into the church. They had gone to sleep. They had become just like the world. And Jesus was warning them and saying, if you don't stay awake, if you don't watch, I'm going to come to you like a thief in the night, just like the enemy came to this city on two other occasions. I'm going to come upon you as a thief and bring judgment. We need to understand about Jesus. How many of you know He's good? How many of you know He's, He's good, He's wonderful. And if you attend this church, we emphasize the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Is that right? But the Bible also says in the book of Romans, consider therefore the goodness and the what? Severity of God. You've got to, you've got to have them both or you get out of balance. There's the goodness and the severity of God. I stress the goodness, but I also talk, talk, we have to talk about the severity once in a while. And the good news about this is Jesus isn't going to just come in and judge them. What did he tell them to do real loud? Say, wake up. up. Isn't it good that Jesus warns us before he judges? Now, notice here in verse four, New Living Translation. Just stick with me a few more minutes. I want to get this across to you. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Living Bible says, with the world's filth, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now notice here, there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Let me just read from my notes. What does it mean to defile or soil your garment? Listen to this. We know that when we get saved, the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. The blood of Jesus makes our garment clean and white. In order for us to soil our garments after they have been washed clean, we have to continue in sin without repentance and confession. See, when you get saved, the blood of Jesus washes you white. Is that right? But if you sin after you're saved, you need to do what? Repent and confess. And the moment you do that, what happens? The blood of Jesus washes that sin away. Is that correct? But if but if you're living a lifestyle of sinfulness and you're not repenting and confessing, then your garment is going to get all dirtied up again. Is that right? Not an issue here of losing salvation. It's an issue of walking around with a dirty garment. Now, some would argue it's a you're 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 in trouble of losing salvation. But to me, as I've studied it, 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 it's you're not pleasing to the Lord. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. How about you? And so if you continue to sin as a Christian without repentance and confession, this means, that most, this means that the most of the people... Now think about this. Most of the people in the church in Sardis were worldly Christians, carnal Christians. They were living in sin while claiming to be Christians. And they apparently were, but they had this double life. They'd live as a Christian. They'd come to church on Sunday and look like a Christian. Then they'd go home the rest of the week and live like the devil. How many of you know we ought to live for Jesus every day of the week? Is that right? And they were fooling everybody except Jesus. You know you can fool everybody. You can almost even fool yourself. But you can't fool Jesus. See, and I need to say this. Some people would say that these people... Well, and some argue this. Well, these people were never saved in the first place. But we saw from verse 3. Did they start out right? Did they have the gospel to start out? Were they on the right track when they started? See, so I don't... some say they weren't saved to start with. Some scholars believe this, but but, but I don't. I, I do not personally believe that the church in Sardis was filled with unsaved people. And here's why: an unsaved person does now. Listen to this: an unsaved person does not have a clean garment to soil. Is that right? So their garments were cleaned at one point, but they got soiled because they became like they live in like the world. An unsaved person has never had their garment washed. An unsaved person has never had their garment washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Do you agree with that? Only a garment washed clean can become soiled. And that's what happened here in Sardis. Now the question I always get asked. Now, hang on every word here now. let help you. 35 years of study here and I can help you in about 2 minutes. What if these people had died in this condition? I've pretty already already answered a question. But, but, but people want to know because we're going to talk about blotting the name out of the book of life here in just a few moments. People want to know, can a person lose their salvation? Will God ever blot you out of the book of life once your name is in there? Will he ever erase your name and there's big controversy over this and great theologians have studied this question for years and years and years I've studied it for about 35 years and you know what I can go into the scriptures And I can take certain scriptures and I can preach one side of it and say yes Your name could be blotted out of the book of life I can go in and teach the other side saying no your name could never be blotted out of the book of life Let me tell you something. Do you know what the answer to this dilemma is? How many like to know the answer to the dilemma? Here's the answer here. It is plain and simple If you'll repent of your sins and receive Jesus as your savior, do you get saved right there? Yeah. Then just live right before God. And if you'll do that, you don't have to worry about this theological problem of whether or not you can lose salvation or be blotted out. Isn't that just a good answer to that question? Why don't we And the Lord finally got this through to me Said, why don't you stop? Fussing over this question and just live right before me, and then you don't have to worry about a blasted thing. Isn't that wonderful? You want to know the answer to this dilemma? Get saved, live right before God. What if I miss it? Then what should you do? Repent and confess and go right on. Is that right? What if I miss it again? What if I miss it ten times, twenty times, thirty times, a hundred times? Repent, 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 and what? Confess it? And will he forgive you? Yeah. Now, now one guy said this to me years ago. He says, I got this sin in my life and I know that I'm going to do it again. So I'm going to do it, but then I'll confess it before I go to bed at night. And then I'll do it again tomorrow and confess it before I go to bed at that night. And then I'll do it again. Now, God's good, but I tell you what, you're you're on shaky ground right there. Is that right? Because he's looking for a repentant heart. That's not a repentant heart, is it? How many knows you could mess up on the same thing a million times and, and, and if your heart's sincere, God will forgive you. Is that right? But don't, let's don't play games with God. Let's don't tamper with his grace. Is that OK? Is that OK? So let's just get born again, let's live as close to Him as we can, knowing that we can't, we can't earn our salvation, it's a free gift, but once we got that free gift, let's just be thankful we have that free gift, and let's live as close to Him as we can, and then we don't ever have to worry about any blotting out or anything like that. Is, 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 that, a good, is that a good rule of thumb to take? And you know what, people are really, you know, that. You know, let me tell you something, people that want to argue, you know, could he blot our name out? Could, could we lose ourselves? You know what people are really asking when they get into that? You know what they're really asking? How far away can I live from God and still be saved? That's what they really want to know. Almost without exception, people that argue this, there's something in their life that's not right. And they're concerned that they're going to get blotted out if you get right down to it. Did you hear what I just said? Did you Did you hear what I just said? What they really want to know is how much, as a Christian, how much can I sin? How much can I sin? You okay? How are you doing? And then, how much can I sin? You following all this? You think they're getting it? Hope so. Their spirits are getting it. How much can I sin and still get get to heaven? Isn't that really what they're asking? Why don't we just take the other road? Let's let's how, let's just don't sin at all. Let's live right before God. What do you say? Amen. You okay? God, guys, I know I'm not entertaining you, but I, but are you getting anything out of this? I had to get the word through to you, okay? I'm almost done. Have you learned anything today? I asked a preacher friend of mine, I asked him one time, I said, hadn't seen him in a while, I said, brother so-and-so, I didn't call him so-and-so, but I don't want you to know who it is. I said, are you still saved and sure? That's what we preachers tend to ask one another when we haven't seen each other for a while. Are you still saved and sure? And he said, brother... He said, if salvation is still by grace through faith in Jesus, then I'm still saved and sure. So let me ask you, are you still saved and sure? Well, if salvation is still a free gift by grace, the grace of God through faith in Jesus, then I'm still saved. How many saved in here? Amen. All right, now let's finish this up. Look at verse five here. Now, were these people, while you're looking at verse 5, were these people in a dangerous position, though, in Sardis? Yeah, they, they, were, they were in a dangerous position. Not not of losing salvation, I'm convinced of that. But they were in a dangerous place. He who overcomes, this is verse 5, will be clothed in white garments. Now, have some of them let their garments get defiled? Have they tampered with sin? What's Jesus doing? He's crying out to them, telling them to repent. Is that right? There's still hope. Get your life right. Repent. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. So what do we teach about overcoming? How do you become an overcomer? First of all, when you place your faith in Jesus, you're considered an overcomer by God. And then you have to rise up in the power of the spirit and overcome some stuff. Is that right? But but but, but the one side of overcoming, that's a free gift. That's a, That we're considered an overcomer when we're a Christian. And so... Did you ever think about in Sardis, what, what was there to overcome? Was there any persecution to overcome? Let's see if, if you learned anything. Was there any persecution to overcome? Was there any real heresy to overcome? No, really no teaching. I can't find where they had to overcome poverty in this church. Like in one of the churches, wasn't poverty stricken. You know what they had to overcome in this church? The spirit of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what they had to overcome in this church. That's what they had to overcome. You know, we have to overcome that too, don't we? We don't have much persecution here in the United States like they have in other countries. Is that right? In this church, I trust you don't have false doctrine to really have to overcome. Is that right? But in any church, particularly here in the United States, one of the biggest things you and I have to overcome is the spirit of the world and then look at the rest of verse five i'll not blot out his name from the book of life but i'll confess his name before my father and before his angels now let's look at the last part of that verse i'll confess his name before my father and his angels remember what jesus said he said if you confess me before men i'll confess you before my father and his angels is that right so right here anybody that continued to maintain a confession in the lord jesus christ He would continue to confess them before the Father and before the angels. And anybody that did that would not get their name blotted out of the book of life. So, if you're concerned that your name is blotted out of the book of life, remember the little illustration I gave you a while ago about having the blood of Jesus up here? Anybody going to come up and stomp on it or spit on it? No? Is there anybody in here that you've once confessed Jesus as your Savior? Anybody want to recant that this morning? Well, then your name's still in the book of life. Isn't that wonderful? So rather than trying to figure out what we would have to do to get our names blotted out of the book of life, why don't we just say, hey, my name's in there through faith in Jesus. I don't want it blotted out. Just just live close to him and let's not worry about it. Can you say amen? Amen. But I do want to tell you something about this blotting out. Listen to this. This is interesting. I'm, I'm almost finished, but listen to this. At the time this letter of Revelation was written to these seven churches in in the Roman government there, a person's name would be removed from the city register before death if they were convicted of a crime. So what did I just tell you? If somebody was convicted of a crime, guess what? Their name would be taken out of the city register. Did you hear that? That was something that... Now now listen to this. That was used as a threat to Christians. Christians were under the constant threat of being branded as criminals and stripped of their citizenship if they refused to deny Jesus Christ. Now, this was going on in all of these seven cities that you were a Roman citizen there, you're a member of the church, but here's the deal. Now, how do you get in the book of life? By receiving Jesus, is that right? But here in all these these cities... What they'd do is they'd come to you and they'd say, look, we're going to strip you of your citizenship unless you reject Jesus. Now, that's that's quite a dilemma to be put in. Now, there was really no persecution. But in this city, I'm convinced this was the if there was any persecution, this was the main persecution. Because. If they if they refused to deny Christ, then. The Roman government said, all right, we're going to take your name out of the city registry and you won't have the benefits of citizenship. Did you get what I just said? And that was evidently being hung over these people's heads. Well, if you reject Jesus, you already received him. But if you reject him, we'll leave your name in this in this in this in this city registry. But if you continue to hold on to Jesus, we're going to take your name out of the city registry and you'll lose all your privileges as a citizen. That's what they held over these Christians heads. And I'm convinced it was probably worse here in Sardis than in the other areas, because Jesus, what did he say to them in verse five? He said, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Can can you say amen to that? So even though, listen to me, even though they might pull your name out of the city registry and you might lose your privileges of your earthly Roman citizenship, if you'll hold to Jesus Christ, God said, Jesus said, I will not remove your name from the heavenly book. Does that excite you like it excites me? Let them go ahead and take my name out of the out of the registry book of the city. I don't really care about that. But I tell you what, I want my name in the heavenly book. How about you? Let me ask you a question. Would you rather, how, how many of you enjoy being a citizen of the United States? I sure do. But if you had to choose between that and having your name in the book of life, which would you choose? Take the book of life. Let them take my United States citizenship away as much as I honor that, but they can have that. I'd rather have my name in the book of life. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He was encouraging these people. Say, Hey, you guys that are walking right before me, let them take your name out of that book of the city. But I promise I'll never blot your name out of the book. Can you say amen to that? Glory to God. That excites me. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. Did you get anything out of this today? So Jesus gave this pastor in this church a jolting command... To wake up. Real loud say wake up. wake up. He gave them a wake up call. And if there's hope for these people. There's hope for us. There's hope for anybody that's listening. To the sound of my voice. If it wasn't too late for these people to wake up. It's not too late for us. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Did you get anything out of this today? You sure?